Hello, and welcome to Industry Elites. On this podcast, Industry Elite's very own Natalie and Vicky are going to be interviewing business owners and individuals who have made their mark in their respective industries. Travis Zipper is an entrepreneur serving clients as a functional diagnostic nutritionist, mentor, and trainer of health coaches within the healthcare industry. Travis grew up in Chicago and attended Northern Illinois State University for a year and then was transferred to Arizona State University to study computer engineering. However, after graduating from the engineering program at Arizona State, Travis concluded that life as a computer engineer would not be fulfilling enough for him and he shifted gears to find a new path. Travis supported himself by working in random clubs and even tried his hand at real estate. Once he discovered the health and nutrition industry, he felt as though he was making a difference in the lives of others. He knew that his new career path just felt right for him. Currently, Travis Zipper is the owner of WellFit's Mentorship for Health Coaches. He is also a health practitioner that assists a variety of clients with lifestyle solutions to meet their goals, and many of his clients face difficult challenges with compromised health issues. However, on the opposite end of the spectrum, he also works with very healthy and high-level athletes. As the owner of WellFit's mentorship, Travis Zipper is a trainer and mentor where he teaches professional health coaches the protocols for coaching the difficult clients by providing them with the tools that will allow all coaches the ability to work with a full spectrum of clients. After that is all said and done, he provides students with application-based mentorships and certifications. He stays current by meeting other professional coach trainers in the industry who are also focused on helping clients make a difference. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Industry Elites. Today on the podcast, we have owner of WellFit's mentorship, Travis Zipper, on with us. Thanks for coming on the podcast today, Travis. Well, thank you for having me. Obviously, I think everybody is slowly coming out of our COVID quarantining. So how are things with COVID and how have you been living in California right now? I have no complaints so far. Uh, I do live about a hundred feet off the beach, so I have access to that. The sun's out and um, I work remotely. So it really hasn't affect, affected much of my, my business or teachings. So I could say I'm on the upper end of the pendulum, uh, but I could, I feel for people like my, my parents who have been indoors and mm-hmm. been in cold weather for the entire time. So it's um, no complaints, so to speak. So it's not the roughest life on your side over there where you guys are living. So that's pretty good. Yeah, I have first world problems pretty much. That's it. And, uh, they're not real. Yeah, big. for sure. I think a lot of us, it was just more so of that transition because it was a new, it was a new norm that a lot of us weren't really used to. So, and that Point of things is just about that readjustment and a lot of people said how they had used quarantining and COVID maybe as like a reevaluation and really looking at how they can reinvent themselves going forward. So I know you did mention that things didn't really change for you and your business as you were already working remotely. So maybe you could just go into a bit of background on how you got started with WellFit's mentorship and how you really transitioned from starting a career in computer engineering to where you're at now. I did go to college uh, and I played college football and I just got into something being young where I thought I would be making a lot of money. And that was uh, computer engineering. I had an engineer father. And I should have known that I probably wasn't an engineer because I had a real hard time finding the stud in the wall uh, to hang a picture frame. 
And usually that's not how engineers work. So I got through that. I knew that I definitely didn't want to be an engineer. I went, I went to move to Las Vegas. I did the Las Vegas thing for a while. I was a bartender, a VIP host, ran doors of nightclubs. But I hated, uh, really hated what I did at the end of the day. And it really took me losing all of those high-paying jobs and making $10 an hour and, and really feeling rewarded with what I was doing. And finally learning that, you know, it, I didn't really want to chase money any longer. And that I think if you have passion for something, then eventually the money follows if you're doing things for the right reason. Through a series of events, I, I worked for a medical weight loss clinic where I, I started working with really sick and obese people. I eventually transitioned into working with hormones at hormone replacement or age management centers. And I went through all these different types of clients. And I found in the medical system that all these people that were coming to these places were pretty much looking for a quick fix. And very small percentage of the population actually wanted uh, help or they wanted to put in the work. And, you know, it's kind of frustrating when you're when you have all this passion to help people and, and they want a, a hormone or a pill or a quick fix. And I eventually started working, transitioning. That's where I got into actually health coaching and doing that on the side uh, with a couple of different companies. I worked with high-level athletes. I really loved that. I worked with really, and I hate to use this word, but broken people in the sense of they were sick and they couldn't find what was causing their problems. And the medical system wasn't helping them. Things like severe gut problems, autoimmune conditions, severe weight loss resistance, you know, diabetes, all of those conditions. And that's where I really kind of really took things to the next level or where I really found a, a calling because I found the people that were more health challenged, many times they really want to get better and they're like sponges. I had that feeling of the butterflies in your stomach of really just wanting to help that demographic. And that's how it eventually transitioned into me, you know, teaching coaches as I got to a point where I was helping a lot of people, but if I was teaching a coach, you know, instead of me helping 10 people, I was now teaching 10 coaches that could go out and help 100 people eat. So my reach was a little farther. And ultimately, like health coaches or let's call them practitioners, I think they're the ultimate sponges. They, they love it. They want to go out there and do it for the right reason. And that's kind of where I got into mentoring, you know, coaches and practitioners like today. The long-winded. I tried to be short-winded, but it was a little bit long-winded <laughs> for that one. Yeah, no, sorry. That was a loaded question, right, to start us off, I think. Uh, your summary definitely was a good overview, and I think it gives a lot of background in terms of how you started in one place and ended in another, that's for sure. And I think a, a lot of people don't really essentially know what they want to be coming out of college and university even. So transitioning to know that you can still have that really good career even if you didn't start off going from your initial game plan. So that's definitely good. So just for a little bit for our listeners that are kind of ignorant to the topic, because I know I am myself. So I do have to ask the question, what does it mean to be a mentor for health coaches? Like, how did you kind of develop that program to offer people? I'm still a part owner of a company called the, the Nutritional Coaching Institute. And it was a certification type of company where you would teach people that said, you know, I want to change my career. I want to go out and help people. I want to help people with nutrition and lifestyle and, and stress and sleep. And that was where I got started with regards to creating courses or actually teaching others. And we have, I would call them entry-level programs for people that, yeah, if you 
have no idea on how to help someone eat a better diet, uh, reduce stress, you know, get more effective sleep. This is where a lot of people come. And we created this, this program, so to speak, or the certification, because a lot of the call them nutritional coaching certifications out there, they're very theory heavy. So they'll tell people how the body works, but they don't really show you how to go out and apply Mm -hmm. uh, those principles to someone who, you know, is eating 900 calories and, and on the treadmill for, for two hours and still not losing weight. It's great to think that, you know, things in theory in this big pie in the sky, it works great. But until you actually get out there and really apply it, it, it doesn't. So that's where it started. And I created, I started writing more and more courses for different aspects of like how to help someone heal their guts how to work with the thyroid if you're, you know, in a, in a health coach setting and different levels. And it, it got to a point where that kind of puttered out, so to speak. We only got so high and then there was no next level if they really wanted to continue to work with the health challenge clients or just, I call it having more confidence to go out there and actually deliver results because a coach needs to have confidence that he can speak and articulate um, what he's trying to get across or what he's get his, getting his clients to do. So that's kind of how the process works. I start people over with the certifications at uh, Nutritional Coaching Institute. And then if they want to keep continuing and improving their skills, then I take them on one-on-one. That's awesome, though, that the people have that outlet to go to and the coaches have that additional resource. Like you said, there's not really much movement upwards for them. But I really want to highlight one of the things that you did mention was giving coaches that confidence. And I think that's so important in so many different realms, even if it's not just coaching, because if they're not confident in what they're trying to help individuals with, I feel like that would also hinder the individual's level of success as well. Because if they're seeing me like, well, if this person's trying to train me on this and here, they're not even fully knowledgeable or they're not even giving me the right import input. So worried to like help me in an individual sense, then they're kind of left in the, on like the wayside as well. So I think that's definitely an asset in, in all scopes of business. So that's awesome. 100%. That's one of the, I would say one of the things that holds back most coaches or, or, or any person for that matter, that, that wants to go out and, and make a difference. They know they want to help people, but they have paralysis by analysis. They think they need to have all of the facts or all the certifications or, or do so many things before they actually go out and, and help a person. The bottom line is that most coaches, they only know a little bit more than the clients that they're helping. But that little bit more is all that they need. And sometimes those same clients, they just need a little accountability and they need to be pointed in the right direction. And sometimes they need to be, you know, they need a kick in the butt and they also need a pat on the back. And it's finding that right balance that the more the art. So you mentioned that a lot of people are looking for kind of quick fixes, as we know, society we have, we want everything quick. So I was just curious, how long typically do your programs last for people? Is this a weekly thing, a monthly thing, or just an ongoing lifestyle change? It's evolved. I, I don't take on that many clients these days, but I tend to take on the people who really need help and don't have anywhere to go. So my, my approach with regards to clients, because listen, I'm not seeing someone that that's coming to me that's perfectly healthy and I'll be honest, most people that are willing to pay upwards of a couple hundred dollars a month to a health coach, they have, you know, a problem that they're not able to solve themselves. So I work on it in terms of really helping people optimize their bodies, 
through sleep, through the gut, through liver, through stress management. And it's a series of kind of steps. And if someone comes to me and they're like this, and I just want to lose 20 pounds, um, I'd be like, well, I'm, I'm probably not the best coach for you. I do have an mm -hmm. awesome series of you know, connections of other people I work with that I can refer you to that are probably going to be much better suited to helping you, you know, reach that goal. But if someone comes to me and says, listen, I've just, I've had low energy. I've never felt right. I'm just, you know, not in a good spot in my life. And, and I, I want to make some changes for, let's say my kids that, you know, I, I want to be around as long as possible, but I just don't have the, the tools or the skills. Then I explain to them like, you know, I want, let's, let's build your, yourself up from the ground level and let's teach you in the same sense as to the old adage of here, teach a person to fish and they, you know, they eat for a lifetime versus just giving them a fish. And when they get done with work with me, I hope that I've educated them en enough to make the right decisions so that all of what they're doing, it sticks. And it's not just a quick fix where I'm going to starve myself for three months, lose some weight, and then have that weight come back. Um, think of it, you know, more long-term approach. Yeah, I think that's something I'm sure a lot of people have difficulty with seeing at a certain point because maybe a diet is so it's already difficult to look at, okay, how am I going to change for these 30 days? So looking at that lifestyle change might be a little bit more difficult from the onset, but I'm sure once people get started implementing that for a lifestyle change will obviously be way more effective than just that temporary fix. But just for our listeners, and we can get a little bit more detail about the coaching program that you have, and it's primarily online, correct? Like, so people could sign up from any point all over the country or different countries and still have access to the same material someone would have just down the street from you, correct? Correct. Yeah, everything's online. There is the one aspect of, of my programs, or at least when, I'm, when I coach people, mm -hmm. there's, it's very one-on-one. -on -one. So many of the programs out there today, it's very automated because it's scalable. You can have a, a thousand people go through a course and that person, once it's once that course is written, there's very little time that they have to put into it. I think that's where a lot of pro programs come up short. You have to learn from people. And you have to be able to ask questions and get your questions answered. And again, feel confident that you're you're actually absorbing uh, what's being taught or what you're you know you're trying to get across to a person. So you mentioned that with COVID, kind of working from home, it hasn't really changed much from you. How do you find that you maintain a work-life balance when you're already working from home? Do you find that something that you can kind of easily separate? Or are you kind of like me and Natalie where we find ourselves on our laptops at 9 p.m. every night? <laughs> it's kind of like I don't, as I, uh, don't do as I do. I have, I'm in school currently for my uh, doctorate in clinical nutrition. So that's oh. my morning. It's been my morning kind of going through, through schoolwork. I have about, you know, I have only about three hours of actual work each day of client calls. And then the rest of the day is, you know, creating content um, and, and working on, you know, I guess, improving my skills to help other people. So I work very long days, but I wouldn't even really call it work. It's something that I enjoy and it's probably something I'd be doing even if I wasn't getting paid to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, so that makes it a lot easier. I'm not going to say that's definitely the case for, for everyone else, but I'm very big on... Um, time blocking. So set aside a set amount of time that you only do one task during that time. When you get done with that time, you move on to your next task. And if I don't also like time block times to get up and move, I'll literally be in my chair for 12 hours a day. So you have to go out and I have access to, you know, walking in the beach and put my, my feet in the, the ocean. So 
it's a nice little little bonus. That was going to be my next question. So in Canada here, we, I would say we, especially where we are, we have a huge shortage of very nice beaches. My question (laughs) that I want to know is how do you get anything done being on the California coast a (laughs) hundred feet away? (laughs) You would think I would, I would be out there a, a little bit more than I am, but again, it's just, it's, it's that goal of having the light at the end of the tunnel where you're, where you're almost there and, at least myself, my, my goal is to have a very streamlined approach where um, I'm just working with people and helping them and, you know, adding value to their lives. So that's what it always goes back to is like, I love exercise, love, you know, being on the beach, but I almost have a little bit of uh, anxiety always wanting to come back and, and, and keep continuing to do, you know, I guess what I love. So that's a little bit of a individual or person specific, but there are a lot of people that can definitely get caught up in the, uh, the beach life for sure. Yeah. I think Vicky and I would definitely be one of those, some of those individuals, there would oh, yeah, be yeah, no sure. work-life balance. It would be all home, <laughs> home life balance on the beach. That's for sure. Luckily we aren't tempted by those gorgeous beaches over here. Sorry to Canada for the hate on that. But <laughs> so the one thing I guess we really want to just hear a little bit more about, you were mentioning it briefly is some of the challenges that you find some of your clients were previously having to overcome that a lot of them were a little bit more broken individuals, but what are maybe some specific challenges that you found were common themes of people coming to you really looking for your guidance? And this could be from a client perspective, also from a coaching perspective. Like what were those where you're like, okay, like you definitely need help in this area. You definitely need to help in this area because you're coming to me with this problem. I find a lot of people have um, GI problems or, 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 you know, gut dysfunctions where they're not at a point where they're diseased or they have something like IBD or Crohn's. And when they don't, they get very little help from the medical realm. And as much as I have, as respect as I have for a lot of uh, GI doctors out there, they're not real great at treating things like intestinal permeability or, or helping people put lifestyle improvements in play or elimination diets to get their guts healed. Um, fatty liver is another big problem that is very hard to diagnose from a a medical perspective, but it's a huge trigger that will prevent people from losing weight and make them very tired, you know, have uh, high levels of fatigue and then just poor sleep, uh, circadian rhythm and sleep are, are intricately tied. So we're connected to the sun. And if we're not getting any sunlight during the day, then we're kind of like short circuiting how our bodies are, are made to run. And people don't understand it. it's the first area that they sacrifice in the essence of work or the gym or feeling terrible. I'll just sleep less. And it's probably one of the worst things they can do. So it always kind of comes back to, again, optimizing these, these body systems and really getting the most out of your own body. Because when you, you get out of its own way, the body's pretty awesome at, at, at fixing itself or healing itself or, or losing those body fat pounds. But if you have all these stressors and all these other things that you're doing wrong each day, and man, I could just I could go down a laundry list of, of every possible stressor that people have, and almost all people have them, and that's just holding them back from from ever seeing that you know optimal level of health. And I, I always make a joke, and it's funny, but it's not funny in the in the sense that most people they get so used to feeling terrible, having low energy, having low libido. Um, just dragging or needing coffee to get going, 
that they've forgotten what it's like to, to feel like feeling healthy and vibrant and having like great skin and just like having the zest for life. And it's sad to say that, but you see that with way too many people. And sometimes you got to give them a little smack in the face. Like this is not okay. This is, uh, this is not how things should be. You should want to, you know, have great energy. You should want to, you know, really be, you know, excited and attracted to your wife. You should want to like get up and go through the day and it shouldn't be just a grind. Yeah, that's true. So with kind of all that, those triggers and things that you were mentioning, do you think that COVID is going to have a huge impact on people's lives with that? Just kind of staying at home, not eating right, or kind of coping with the emotional side of that and then continuing to go down the path of not eating right? 100%. I mean, you can't argue with the stats, you know, domestic abuse up 80%, uh, childhood um, uh, abuse up 600%, suicide rates uh, up significantly. This is, you know, this is not a a topic for getting on a a soapbox by any means, but the, the lockdown is definitely not helping. And you would think that a lot of people, it should give them an opportunity because they're not working. You know, it should be like opportunity. Like, wow, this is something that could really harm me if I don't get my health in check. And maybe I should, you know, be outside more. I should start exercising. I should eat cleaner foods. But actually what's happening to the large majority is the exact opposite. They're eating pizza. They're ordering takeout. They're playing video games. They're they're watching TV all night. Either they look at it as the end of the world or like a sabbatical where they can Mm -hmm. find themselves and I'm just seeing too many people, you know, and I'm, and I'm not talking about the people that are, that are paying for health coaching. These, this is just the large majority of the population. They're doing the opposite. Uh, they're packing on the pounds. They're, they're setting, you know, themselves up for, you know, negatives down the road. And like it or not, COVID-19 is not going anywhere. Okay. Everyone's going to get it. Everyone's going to get exposed to it. And it's how strong is your immune system when it comes in contact with it is the big determining factor. No, for sure. And I think the one thing you highlighted, there's two types of people on different ends of the spectrum there. They're either looking at this as that reevaluation or they're like, well, this is like my vacation since I can't actually go on vacation. Might as well just be relaxed at home and do whatever I feel like. But the one aspect that a lot of people, I think, that Vicky and I have spoken to previously is that they've used this as a reevaluation period. Like I can say that I think I've been more considerate of myself now that time has essentially when it was stopping for a bit, right? Because when everybody's so constantly on the move and you're always going from one place to another place to another place, you don't really have that moment to stop and think, be like, Oh, I probably could be taking a little bit better care of myself. So it's like, hopefully people are able to see that outcome more than looking at, okay, let's just use this as a vacation period. And then we're going to come out of the house and our 20 pounds we gained are just going to be gone instantaneously. Because unfortunately, I wish that could happen for most people, but that won't be the case. So aside from COVID and the effects of mental health on that and your physical health, in general, do you think that there's that direct correlation between someone's physical health and their mental health, like on an everyday basis? 100%. I agree. I I have a a catchphrase, I say it so much that I could, you know, put it in quotes on my, uh, my wall. It's <laughs> that, you know, what happens above the neck controls everything below the neck more than we understand. Or our, you know, our physiology is controlled by our psychology. And this is just a time where stress is high. And granted, there's 
for most, there's no real harm of actually any, any physical threat, but it's that mental emotional stressor of, you know, that those predestined stressors where you're not really sure what the future holds. And that's scary for a lot of people. And it's just like that little, uh, that mini tiger that's chasing you 24 seven that just never quite goes away. Yeah, I agree. I find, at least for me, I'm in, I kind of live in like a downtown core. So I almost became kind of obsessed with going out, not going out as in like to restaurants, you can't really do that, but like just going out for a walk, just trying to, because I don't have a balcony either. So I'm really kind of in these concrete walls of my apartment. So I get, I got really obsessed with just kind of trying to keep my mental health up because the first couple weeks of lockdown, it was just, I'm in an apartment. I can't go outside. The whole point of living in a downtown core is to go to all the restaurants and all the bars. It was really hard. And I found, at least for me, I have enough gym equipment to kind of keep it going. And I think that really helped like my physical and mental health during this because it just gave me something to do, to be honest. And, um, I just have a lot of friends that are like, oh, no, like, I'd bag of chips for breakfast. COVID doesn't count. I'm like, we're like six <laughs> months in, guys. Like, it was yeah. fun. COVID for... does count, okay? Like, <laughs> you should see that after the first few weeks. Now you're six months, like, oh, my gosh. Exactly. Because it's like, it was fun in the beginning because it was like, wow, like, this has never happened. We get to stay at home. We get to wear our pajamas for a week. It, it was great. And now it's like it's literally a lifestyle now. And I feel like we all kind of have to try our best to get out of that, or it's just going to become like a negative lifestyle change. So just pivoting a bit. um, So you mentioned that you worked with a lot of high level athletes. Is there specifics that you're looking to have them follow when they're training with you? Or do they have a different kind of course laid out versus a the average person that you would look after yeah i mean everyone's going to be different i was a a high level crossfit athlete uh, at the time so i was in the same boat and you you know you're always going to be a little bit biased in terms of what you're doing in your personal life uh in terms of your view of usually working with people because that's how you connect uh with with most individuals but most athletes even you know call them weekend warriors they tend to beat themselves down and not give the body enough recovery. And for every dose of stress, you have to have an equal dose of recovery and add on all the stressors of life. The, the balance is severely skewed in, in terms of stress. And what that eventually does is just breaks the body down. So they need to be educated as to the fact of, you know, when you, you get better in your individual sport, it's when you're recovering. It's not when you're actually performing that sport. And that's a hard pill for a lot of people to swallow. So it's sometimes more rest, um, being more efficient with your exercise time and really making sure you're getting in the right amount of food. And for a lot of athletes, sometimes you have to eat to a point of it it kind of being uncomfortable uh, to make sure that the body's getting all that it needs. Because when you are stressed, there's a lot of cues in the body that will kind of shut off those hunger responses. So even though, you know, you know, you should be eating the body's saying, man, I'm really not that hungry, though. So it, it is a different mindset with regards to someone who is possibly looking to lose weight and improve their health, but they're sitting on their butt all day. It's really like two ends of the spectrum, actually. Definitely. So to those people who are looking to make those nutritional changes or looking to maybe get on a specific diet or just change the way that they're eating, what suggestions do you have 
is for them to get started. So should they do some research? Should they go to their doctor? Should they automatically go to someone like yourselves, a fitness or a health coach? Like where is the place for them to start? Because it's very overwhelming if you're just going on Google and you're seeing like hundreds of thousands of search results, where is like the go-to of like first place to go? Well, it's very going to depend on on the person. Uh, I think, you know, I'm a firm believer. I'm the type of person where I would much rather be guided to the right answer by someone who's been there and done that versus mm-hmm. me have to, you know, throw myself in the fire and spend all this time. You know, I have a best friend who's the exact opposite. He'd rather do everything himself and learn the hard way, even if it takes him four times as long. There's, you know, each person's uh, perspective on learning. Working with someone that can point you in the right direction is a great first start. But if you wanted to do, do things on your own, it, you have to just fall back on some common sense. And you know, what does common sense say that we should be eating? Well, it probably tells us we shouldn't be eating everything that comes out of a bag in a box. And we should be eating more things that come out of the ground. Okay? For sure. I have, you know, when you look at an ingredient list and it has 50 ingredients and everything says is an eight or an uh, zide or an uh, ace at the end of it and you can't even pronounce it, that's kind of a problem. Um, I have a little phrase, listen, if it walks around, swims around, uh, comes from the ground. It's usually okay. But even in that phrase, there are some asterisks that have to be associated with that. Like, is it organic? Is it grass-fed? There's, there's always other rules to follow. But if you can just start eating real whole foods and have a good amount of plate, uh, plants on your plate with, with color, I think that can make a, a tremendous difference on, on people's diet. And listen, I'm not saying you have to cut out everything you enjoy, but have that one day a week where you, you go out and you get something you like, or maybe that's a day where you have a dinner and a breakfast. But that doesn't mean you can go have two days of uh, a bender of, you know, drinking two cases of beer and, and pizza and wings and then just eat, you know, healthy Monday through Friday. You're going to just be throwing all your results in, in the toilet uh, by doing that. I mean, I feel personally attacked by that because that's exactly <laughs> what I do. <laughs> On the left well, series, they clearly so. need a lifestyle lifestyle change. Okay, it's not going to get you very far. <laughs> so listen, there, there are so many people that do that. And listen, if you have um, some good genes and some age on your side, and uh, you might be able to get get through doing that for a little bit, but eventually it's going to catch up to you. And all of a sudden, you're going to be like, "Man, I just I just can't do the same thing I was doing anymore." Or all of a sudden, I'm ten pounds heavier. Or I go get some labs done at the doc, and it's like, "Well." You know, you got some markers that you really need to take a look at, um, and hopefully you can you can catch that before it ever gets to that point, and you can put those those good things in line, and then still get a little bit of that stuff that you like, and not sacrifice too much. But it, it is about balance for most people. Yeah, that is true. I went to a friend's cottage last weekend, so I was like, that's exactly what happens, and now I'm atoning <laughs> for my sins. <laughs> that's the problem. It's like we could keep ourselves on track. I feel like. With a lot of people during the week because it's like maybe a little bit more scheduled, a little bit more to like that time slot effect. Like you have your eight hours of work, then you're going to be eating at this time and this time. And then you have somewhere to go later on. But the weekend, it's a bit more free. So it's like, oh, like we have time to do this. We have time to do this. And it's like you're fitting in maybe a few of those treats that you wouldn't do during the week. And then totally having to restart when you get into your schedule on the Monday. So that actually kind of leads into the next point of our discussion is what suggestions you have for people to help keep themselves on track? Like I said, is it a specific 
days for working out? Is it they should have a schedule for meal prepping? Like what's the balance with that, do you think? Yeah, I think being prepared is is one of the biggest aspects uh, of staying on track. And a lot of people, if they don't have food uh, that's prepared and, and made, they're probably going to make uh, poor choices because blood sugar levels will drop. And then, you know, the brain's pretty smart. Blood sugar levels drop. The brain says, okay, what's the fastest means, means of, of fuel that will bring things back up to normal? And usually that's processed carbs and sugar. So having meals prepared, either if it's a meal prep service or prepping once or twice a week is great. Um, having kind of easy go-to meals like smoothies or you make casseroles or meatloaves all at one time that you can kind of like put a couple Pyrex dishes into the oven and cook them and you can freeze the rest. Or, um, you know, the biggest one too is not having junk in your home. Uh, now yeah. that's not always going to work for everyone who's got kids and, and different family members. Uh, but if you are someone that that's really struggling and you are on your own and you maybe have a partner or a family who, who is on board, yeah, get that junk out of the house. And if you want something, make a, an active trip to go out and get it. Because usually when you get something, you know, for the most part, you're not overdoing it and you're looking at it as, as a treat. Yeah. So you're, you're going you're gonna to be more excited about it versus just devouring that whole tub of ice cream in two days because you just couldn't say no. It's funny how you mentioned that because we had a bariatric doctor on the podcast semi-recently and she said exactly what you said just don't buy it which i find for me really helps because if it's in the house it's gonna get eaten as much yeah. as we try to ration it it's gonna get eaten and she also said too that the likelihood of you going out at 11 o'clock at night to the gas station to pick up chips is a lot lower than if you're just walking to the cupboard in your kitchen to get it so it's a really good deterrent like from multiple sources and including for myself to do I just thought it was really funny because it was honestly word for word from what yeah. we've heard I was thinking that too I was like wow the parallels are crazy I fall in this category where there's certain times where I feel like I need something sweet after a meal to really feel like I'm satisfied and they've actually found um, snips or genes in people that are activated and, and that say your hunger cues will not be kind of like shut off through different hormones unless you get something sweet. So in that situation, find things that can fit the role that are still healthy, that aren't like, you know, still the 2000 calorie paleo cake. Uh, even though it's paleo, it's still 2000 calories. So finding a couple little things that, you know, fruit, um, frozen berries with like, you know, coconut yogurt, things that still hit that, that sweet receptors in, in the mouth and the brain can also be a nice little thing to just finish things off and say, okay, I had a little bit, I'm good. Uh, but then there's other people who having a little bit of something is a trigger. Uh, and that's a person, they'll know that for the most part. If you ever talk to anyone like, can you have just one chip? Can you have just one cookie? Oh no, it starts a terrible cascade. If that's the, the type of person that you're dealing with, then that's the person that should not have things in, in their home. Uh, and they should, you know, restrictions probably going to be a little better, at least in the beginning. Yeah, for sure. I know that's the best way for me to do it. And especially if I'm out too, there's a Starbucks on every corner. The best option is to just not get that pumpkin spice latte because that <laughs> thing in itself is, I think it's like a grande is like 450 calories if you get it with regular milk. 
So that could be like a dinner, which is crazy. Pretty much. It's just safest to avoid it. That's the best of my advice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And those are definitely 450 calories of not, uh, not the good mixture you want to. No, for sure. Yeah. And pure sugar. <laughs> That's yeah. true. So you kind of mentioned kind of eating habits and the paleo diet quickly there. Do you believe the key for kind of these lifestyle changes is to turn to a diet or do you think it has to be more of, I don't know you want to call it, but a more permanent diet style lifestyle, if that makes any sense. Cause most diets are seen as like a temporary thing. Yeah. And it's funny, the actual, the, the definition of diet, you know, it's Greek for way of life. So it's been kind of like warped into meaning the exact opposite of, of what it really is. Whatever diet you go on, on, whatever you try, listen, they all work. Okay, because if you're in a diet, that means you're in a caloric deficit. And if you're in a true deficit, you'll be losing weight. But the body quickly adapts to being in, in a deficit and says, oh, well, we got to keep running the body. So we're going to divert these calories to the things we need, like brain function or heart rate or, or nervous system actions. So if you're doing something that would be classified as a diet and you're reducing calories, it, again, it should be short term. But when you come off it, you also have to go back into a, uh, a period of recovery where you build yourself back up to, you know, your maintenance calorie range. So what is the best way to do that? Yeah, it's never having to truly, you know, go into a diet phase and, and harshly restrict your calories. It's just to eat good quality foods. You know, like you were saying, look at the pumpkin latte, spice, uh, um, whatever, you know, 450 calories can go down in two seconds. But think about 450 calories of protein. Okay, that's that's 110 grams of protein. Have you ever eaten 110 grams of protein in one sitting ever? I was just thinking that's about four or five scoops of my protein if I was to eat that much. And that's a lot. Right. And just think about that. that that's the equivalent to uh, over a pound of cooked chicken. Oh, my so gosh. Many, yeah, no. <laughs> how many people how many people are eating that so just look at the comparisons uh between that like one's going to keep you way more full it's going to give you more nutrient density and the other one you could literally you know snarf down in in two minutes if you wanted to and the negative effects on the body are going to be pretty uh intense yeah that definitely when you put it into that perspective and you're looking at the differences of what you can get with one versus the other Wow, I feel like my brain was just blown. One of the ways we just wanted to close it before we're going into that questionnaire that we mentioned. So a lot of businesses we found, especially during COVID, were really leaning on social media. So we want to get your input as an entrepreneur and as a business owner. How do you feel it is important for yourself and for your coaches to have that representation online and to really have that social media presence? Or do you feel like it doesn't really make a difference to someone's business? No, I think, unfortunately, you know, social media is here and it's um, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. You can't, I think it's almost at 100% saturation for cell phones now in everyone in America. Like every single person the age of 12 or 13 years old has a cell phone. So that's their, their means of connecting with, with other people. And as bad as it's getting, that's, you know, or the reliance on that technology, which is, you know, a conversation for another day, um, it's there. So how do you want to go about spreading your your name you know word of mouth yeah it would be great to never have to market yourself at all 
and just have constant word of mouth referrals. And there are people that can do that, but that takes time. Just like in any business, you're a realtor, you know, you're starting a podcast, whatever it is, you need to develop a following and that takes work and you have to put, you know, when I say you got to grind a little bit in the beginning. So social media has its place for sure, but people have to also just define if, you know, are they better writers? Are they better like getting things across through their words? Are they better on camera? Some people are literally petrified of being on camera. Uh, or some people better doing things like you guys are doing, like podcasts. Um, they need to find their, their, their medium of how they want to get their, their point across. Or they might be the in-person. Like they go to gyms, they go to businesses, and they try to set up chats and educate, give a little value, and hopefully entice people to you know, jump on board. So I think social media has definitely a role. It's a, a good way to get yourself out there to the most amount of people, but it has its limitations as well. So people need to find what they're comfortable with and do things right as well. Like just posting something every day when you're not providing any value is not going to get any followers uh, because you have to get people saying like, wow, you know, what is this person putting out today? That, that really applies to my life. That's really helping me fix a problem. If they're not doing that, then they're probably going to stop paying attention. Yeah, it's true. I, I find at least because my technical roles, I'm a social media coordinator. So in and out of the office, well, not in the office at all anymore, but online right. office, I find that I'm constantly on social media and especially kind of after hours for myself. I'm just completely obsessed, to be honest, but I do need to do it to keep up with work. And I found that myself and then kind of other people especially with covid the importance of things people are posting has taken a dramatic hit like i feel like the era of the influencer was really hard hit from covid because people are starting to kind of find social media posts that are more important versus like you said just having a post go out every day just to have a post. So I found that was kind of an interesting transition. And I think something that we'll definitely kind of see going forward, just at also with COVID, because that's the theme of everything right now, as people are coming out of quarantine and looking to become more active again and kind of get themselves back on track. As we right. mentioned earlier, we found some online tips that we can go through and kind of, if you could give us your feedback on each one of those, and we can hopefully set some people back on the right track for success. All right. So, yeah, these are some wellness coaches tips that were provided. So the very first one that they suggested to get people back on the right foot was to hydrate when you wake up. So they said even like a squeezing like a wedge of lemon into your water in the morning, not only would that help rehydrate your body, but it makes it a contributing factor to your health as a first thing you do in the morning. So what are your thoughts on that? Is that super true if, or is that kind of a little bit of an exaggeration? Uh, no, that's true. And more along the lines, there's nothing that, that squeezing a lemon into the water is doing to rehydrate, but it is loaded in antioxidants and, and vitamin C and something called limonene. Uh, which is, you know, great for uh, the body. A little tip for a little bit more of a detoxification aspect is to heat the water, squeeze the le uh, lemon in it, and then drop the lemon along with the peel into it for about five minutes, then drink it. That's going to get a lot more of the, the benefits from the peel um, and some extra, you know, added substances into the water as well. Awesome. All right. Definitely going to have to try that one out. 
Yeah, so the next one on our list here is adding one healthy food at a time. Pick an unhealthy food or drink that people consume regularly and then replace it with something better for you. So, example, if you drink soda daily, swap it for a herbal tea um, so you won't necessarily feel the kind of flavor deprivement. You might have a little bit of that sugar removed from your diet do you think that would actually help or do you think those sugar cravings would be kind of too strong if you're a soda addict i think uh removing one bad food and replacing it with something better is an awesome first step approach for the people that want to ease into a process like that and 100 percent removing something like daily soda intake with a herbal tea is a huge step you gotta think you know it's each soda is gonna be if you're looking at a can that's 30 grams of sugar that is uh, hitting your bloodstream very quickly, causing your blood sugar to shoot up, and then you're most likely going to come down and crash. So using something like a herbal tea, like a, like a matcha, would be an awesome replacement and get you in some nutrients. And also, you know, um, if you're still looking for that sweet fix, so to speak, you could always put in some like stevia flavor drop, thing like a similar taste into that tea and that will still kind of uh, give you a little bit of a, a dopamine surge as well, which kind of gives people that little, oh, that feels good, uh, that they might've been getting way more from, from a soda, but just in a smaller degree. For sure. So our, the final one that we have here, it was titled, Act Like a Scientist. So they are suggesting that people think of behavior change as an experiment. So when you're setting goals, reviewing them from time to time and asking yourself what went well, what didn't work, what do you need to shift and what have you learned? So apparently from this viewpoint, the obstacles aren't considered failures, they're considered learning opportunities. That sounds really complex. Uh, so I don't know if people from the start would really look at doing it this way unless they were very maybe type A person, but what are your suggestions on that? I think that's a, a very broad approach to look, and a lot of people might not be able to tackle that. So when you yeah. ever have a goal, you have to break it down into, into little tiny goals that are attainable. People can see that light in the tunnel. And for example, it would be like if you go on an elimination diet and you eliminate a lot of like possible trigger foods because you're not feeling right, and then you add back in one food over a three-day period, and you have to assess, how did that food make you feel? So you have to kind of assess like how how well did I execute my goals that I set forth for this month? Maybe those goals are, well, I'm going to ex exercise five times a week, or I'm going to get 10,000 steps per day, or I'm going to get, you know, some sunshine as soon as the, as soon as I wake up to get my circadian rhythm going. I think they need to be more um, tangible and, and manageable little goals where you just continue to build upon them. And let's just say you set two new goals a week. Imagine all those new awesome habits you're going to have in, in a six-month period if you stick to it. And, you know, not be too hard on yourself if you don't. So before we close it out and before we uh, end the podcast for today, just is there anything else you want to share with us, Travis, that you feel like we didn't really touch on or something you maybe wanted to add a little bit more on for our listeners today? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, it seems like uh, this podcast has been very COVID-centric and there's a lot of business owners that are probably listening to this. And there's a lot of stress going on right now. So take a step back and, and assess, are you coming out of this whole ordeal healthier or let's say unhealthier? And really that applies to that last question we just talked about. Like how can you assess if you're, if you're taking the steps in the right direction? Because 
as I said earlier, this is something that's not going away and you want to do what you can to really build yourself up and become as healthy as possible. So when you do, you know, come, come across it, hopefully your body's able to say, listen, beat it. And it just kicks it out and you don't have any worries. But it's the people who do have all the stressors and have all the, what they call them comorbidities, which are simple things like high blood pressure and being obese and um, having high blood sugar. Those are the things that can take you down uh, for the count. So look at this. Look at this as a time of uh, uh, introspection and, and say, what am I doing? What positive changes have I made? And if you can't say that you've made any, then maybe you need to sit down with some paper and the family and, and write them out and work it out as a goal for the entire family. Yeah, I think that's a perfect way to close it out and some great last minute advice and really how people can look forward to making that additional change to their everyday lifestyle. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Travis. We're really excited to have you on and we think our listeners will take a lot of stuff from it. Awesome. Thanks for having me. This is fun. 